Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. How are you guys? It's, at the, it's the end of spring break. Are you guys ready for kids to go back to school yet? Um, and I... I uh, It's been a long month, and then sometimes it feels like it's been the shortest month. Um, I'm not going to talk about this whole service, but just wanted to give you guys an update for those of you that aren't following the Facebook page or whatever. But our little girl was in an accident one month ago today, Um, suffered a traumatic brain injury to the frontal lobe of her brain, had to have surgery, coma, all this stuff. Anyway, she's recovering well. Um, Every day she's stronger than she was the day before. Every day she's doing things she wasn't capable of doing the day before. She's walking. She you know, feeds herself. She laughs. She doesn't talk a lot still, but they did a scope and found out that there was some damage to her vocal cords caused by the infield intubation. And the EMTs aren't so worried about the proper gauge and placement. They're more worried about just saving life. And so they've got her on something that will help with that. Um, and so she has surgery coming up this coming Wednesday, 12 o'clock. Would love for you guys to be praying just uh, that everything would go smoother than they even thought possible. Um, there's going to be a ton of reconstructive stuff going on with two different surgeons working on her for about four hours. Um, and so we, we would really just love for you guys to all stand with us and pray for, uh, you know, for them to walk away amazed. You know, it's one thing when, like, when, when we walk away amazed with what they can do, but it's another thing when God's hands on it and surgeons and people like that walk away amazed at what God did through their hands. And that's what we really want to see and we're believing for. So, um, I mean, she's doing great. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about this message that I wanted to preach today. And I, I said this first service, but, you know, sometimes we have no idea, you know, what we're doing. Um, and, and, and I think it's so important that we always try to remember that, like, there's times when you know that you're doing something that God's called you to do. Like, you just feel it, right? You can almost hear the angel trumpets blast and, like, you know, the oh, choir behind you. And you just feel like... Just, you know, you feel so much like Jesus in that moment, and you just know you're doing exactly what you're created for, and you know the impact it's making, and those times are awesome, but there's so many times that that same thing's happening, and you have no idea, and, and I just want to challenge us to make sure that we stay obedient to the Holy Spirit within us, even when we can't see the, the possible fruit. You know, because it talks about one man sows, one man waters, God gives the increase. You know, the guy that's sowing doesn't see the, the watering. The guy that's watering didn't see the sowing, maybe, and doesn't see the increase. And the guy that sees the increase maybe doesn't see everything that happened prior to that. But if everyone would be obedient to do what God's calling them to do when he's calling them to do it, then God can come and bring increase to what's been done by us. And so just stay, and I was thinking about one thing in specific, um, it was when we were being talked to um, by the neurosurgeon and the trauma doctor, you know, they brought her into the trauma bay and, and they quickly did everything they could and got her ready for surgery. And, um, and so the, the, the neurosurgeon and the trauma bay doctor came to talk to us in this little waiting room and, you know, we'd been waiting there for a while wondering what was going on and, um, and he came in and he just matter of factly explained to us what had happened. Um, and matter of fact, he told us what he was going to do. And, but in the middle of that, he said one thing, and I was talking to Patty about this, and she said, it was in that moment I felt like the Lord was speaking directly to me through him. And, and he, said, uh, he said this. He said, and he's, he's a born again, the neurosurgeon. He said, God's in the de- into details. And he looked at, at Patty and he said, it's no coincidence that I was getting ready 
to operate on somebody else. That we were here, my assistants were here, we had gone through pre-op, the operating room was prepped and ready, and we were ready to start operating on somebody else when at the last second they told us that the lab had forgotten to give her a pregnancy test, and they had to bring her out. And he said, I was on the phone chewing out the people in the lab for not doing their job and costing everybody so much time and money when Aaliyah's doctor called me on the other line and said, I have a little girl that needs to get in right away. How quickly could you get her back? And it was in that moment that he didn't realize what he was saying. He was just telling us something in, from himself. But Patty said it was right then that she knew. It was as if the Lord was speaking to her through him and saying, I'm in this and it's going to be okay. To the point that while she was back having life-saving surgery on her brain, that, that we were able to have conversations with people, meet new people, laugh enjoy ourselves and, and actually enjoy being with other Christians. I mean, obviously, you know, you're concerned, your little girl's back there. But there wasn't this despair. There, there wasn't this, like, this feeling of despair or any of that stuff going on. It was, it was as if, you know, that, that him speaking that, and there was other things that he had done for me already, and it was as if he made, wanted to make sure, listen, you guys, understand this. I've got this. I'm trustworthy, and I'm faithful. And, and you can sit here and try to forget everything that you believe and find yourself in despair, or you can let what you believe actually anchor you in this moment, and you can walk through this with me. I'll be with you. You walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You will not fear evil, for I'm with you. And it's like in those moments, and that neurosurgeon probably has no idea what he's saying. You might not be a neurosurgeon, or, but, you, but whatever it is that you do, be obedient to speak the things that God puts into your heart to people, because you have no idea how many times in those moments the Lord is speaking through you, and there's no fanfare, there's no thus saith the Lord, there's no like you know, angelic choir singing or any of that stuff going on at the moment, but it's the Lord using you in those moments. Just be obedient to that. And you may find that there's so many times when you have no idea. And I think one day, one of the greatest joys we'll have in heaven is we'll get to see all the times that our lives and our obedience touched people. And we had no idea. We were so unaware. And we walked away, not even realizing that God had used us in that moment. And so, um, so it leads me to what I want to talk about today, because this is something that God's been speaking to me about for a while. And I think one of the biggest reasons we don't do those things is the fear of man. And so I wanted to talk just today a little bit about the fear of man and, and, and how God deals with that. Um, but but, but uh, in Proverbs chapter 25, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 29, verse 25, it says this. It says, the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Uh, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is alive. God, that, that it's, it's all inspired by you. Uh, that we have ears to hear, that our minds can comprehend. We have the mind of Christ. We have this amazing spirit of yours inside of us, taking everything that's been made known to Jesus by you, Father, and making it known to us, leading us and guiding us into all truth. And I thank you that our hearts would be open and be good soil to receive everything you have. God, that, that a world that doesn't know you would taste the fruit of our lives by your life in us and see that you're good. In Jesus' name, amen. So it says, the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. And I, I was just thinking about a snare. You know, you use a snare to catch animals a lot of times, you know, rabbits or stuff like that. But what a snare does is it doesn't kill, like, instantly. What it does is it just entangles what the, the, the prey to the point where your mind still works. Like, you understand what you want to do or what you should do. And, and to some extent, you know, you, you, you know what you should be doing or what you want to do, but there's just something keeping you from doing it. 
it. So you're, you, you might try to run away, and, and your, your, your feet know how to run, and your, your, your brain knows how to make everything work, but you just can't quite do the thing that it is you know you want to or you know you should do because you've been entangled in a snare. And it's easy to see why they would compare the fear of man to that because I think sometimes that, that, that it's not that we don't know what it is that God's calling us to do. We don't walk around ignorant with no idea of what it is that the Lord would ask of us. You have the Spirit of God inside. You realize that if for you to be disobedient means you have to know what it is he's asking you to do and willfully violate that for him to hold that. That's why he told them, don't eat the tree in the garden. He wanted to make sure there's one thing you can do to screw things up. And if you're going to do that, I want you to know beforehand and choose willingly to violate what it is that I've told you. I don't want to come afterwards and be like, oh, by the way, you weren't supposed to eat the tree. I want you to know what it is I'm asking you to do so that you can choose obedience or choose disobedience. And I feel like there's so many things in our lives that we know that God's called us to, and we actually even have this desire to do it. It's not like we're heathen people that walk around with no concern for others and no care for actually being who God's called us to be and walking the way he's called us to walk. I don't think that's the problem with most people. I think maybe there are some people who are ignorant. You know, he says, my people perish for lack of knowledge, but he says, or because they've rejected the knowledge that was given. And I do think maybe there's some people that just have no idea, but I think for the most of us, we know what it is we're being called to. We hear the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the leading of God. We, we see the people that he highlights to us or the opportunities that he places in front of us. We, we hear the guy in front of us in line talking about having a headache, and we feel that urge inside of us jump up to, hey, why don't you ask him if you can pray for him? Or we hear the people talking about the hard time they're going through, and we carry the answer inside of us. But it's almost like we're caught in a snare sometimes. And, and even though we know what we want to and should, and we even have some desire to do it, there's just something that keeps us from that. Anybody ever been in that position? Anybody? I've, I've been there before. And we're not going to call you up front and ask you to, like, repent. <laughs> we'll do that later. No. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Are you guys okay? Yeah? All right, cool. Um, it, listen, it has been a long month for me. I've slept every night at the hospital, and, and I'm stoked that I can do that. I, I am thrilled to be able to do it. Um, some people brought, us a, uh, brought me a twin bed uh, memory foam mattress cover. And so I'm able to put that on the little fold-out chair that they have for me to sleep on. I think it's been crucial. But, but there's constantly alarms dinging and bells going off and medical alerts and doors opening and shutting and IVs being started and alerts to let them know the IV has stopped. And people coming in checking pupils and temperatures and rolling and touching and prodding and all this stuff going on. And I'm sleeping two feet away from my little girl telling her, it's okay, daddy's here. And, 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 and it's been awesome to be there, but man, the sleep is not exactly like ideal. So I'm a little tired of myself, but, um, but I just want to like, I, I just want to throw that out there for you. Like, I, I understand if you're a little bit tired because it's the end of spring break and you've had your kids home all week. And if they're anything like my kids, they've been the whole time going, or my kid, Aaliyah hasn't really asked for a whole lot besides more food. Uh, she is eating like a, like it's her job. <laughs> you put food, we have to slow her down because she's, she went two weeks without eating, you know, and so she's trying to catch up for that. Uh, and she's eating stuff she never would have ate before. And we don't want to tell her, like, no, you don't like that, because she's just eating it, you know, like broccoli. No, for real, broccoli, green beans, it doesn't matter. You put it in front of her, it's going in. And, um, and so it's been awesome. But, but, um, but yeah, so I, so I just thought about this, and, and I was thinking about the fact of, like, you know, if, if it, when we read things in the Bible, it's always good to ask ourselves, like, why would I need to hear this? 
You know, like, why would I need, why, why did he feel the need to put this in the word for me to read and for me to ponder and for me to know this and, and, and make sure that there's a reason that he's writing this. And so ask myself, you know, is there any chance that maybe there's some fear of man in me that has been a snare in my life and kept me from maybe doing some of the things that I know he's called me to do, that I know he's prompted me to do, and I found myself like a rabbit with its foot stuck, you know, kind of doing this, shaking that leg and trying to run and I can't go. And, and eventually what happens is, is if we're not careful, what will happen to animals is they will actually get to a point where they start to accept the snare. And they'll stop fighting it. And they'll just sit. And even though they know there's something else they could be doing, the desire and the will to even do it has left. And I want to make sure we never find ourselves in that place. Because, listen, if, if, if we live our lives for the, for the praises of people, if we live our lives for the applause of people, if we live our lives more concerned with what people's response or reaction may be, than the fact of what could possibly happen to them if they don't hear the truth or see the truth modeled that we carry. Then we care more about ourselves than we do about other people. And when Jesus said, if you would come after me, you must first deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Revelation says that, they let, that those who overcame, overcame by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and loving their own lives, not unto death. And we take that a lot of times to mean, you know, we don't care if they kill us. Like, are you a Christian? If you are, you're going to be killed. And that is totally, you know, acceptable to think of it in that way. But sometimes it just means I'll die to myself so that I can actually reach you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It means I I die to myself and say, you know what? There's every chance that, that maybe when I step out and do this, you'll reject me. You'll make fun of me. You'll ridicule me. It may not go the way that I want it to go, but I'm okay with that response. I'm okay if you do that because I've never been called to results. I've only been called to obedience. And so I'll die to myself in this moment. I'll love not my own life unto death. I'm willing to love you more than I love my own life and lay that down for the ability and the chance to reach you with the gospel of Jesus. And so if we find ourselves worrying more about what people want or what people think or what their response might be, it's not so much a fear problem as it is a lack of love problem because perfect love casts out fear. And so if we're afraid of what people will think, it's probably because we've lost sight of the love of the Father for us, and we've lost sight of how much we're called to love others as we love ourselves. And so uh, I was looking at the life of Herod, and I'm going to talk about two people, one that got it really wrong and one that eventually got it right. Matthew chapter 14, verse 5. Um, John the Baptist has been put into prison by Herod. He's, he's telling Herod over and over again, you can't have your brother's wife. Seems like a simple thing, right? And Herod hates hearing this because he can't even enjoy his sin because John the Baptist is telling him the whole time, this is wrong. You can't have your brother's wife. This is wrong. And Herod wants to kill him in this, in this instance. And so it says in, in chapter 14 of Matthew, verse 5, it says, Although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. So here we see Herod torn because he wants to just shut John up. He wants to just kill him, get rid of him. He's the king, and this guy's saying something that he's doing is wrong, and he has the ability... John's life literally sits in his hand. He has the ability at any time to say, kill him, and they will kill him. But he's afraid to because of what the people think. So in this case, the fear of man that he has is is somewhat healthy because it's keeping him from doing something that he really shouldn't do. The problem is this. If the only thing keeping you from doing something that you shouldn't do is what people think, when people's opinion change, there will be no conviction there that will keep you from doing the very thing that the people were keeping you from doing to begin with. 
You have to find a place where you live from conviction that's greater than the opinions of people. Otherwise, your life will only look like the opinion of the people that you happen to be around in the moment. And that can change on a dime. Look four, four chapters later, or four verses later. Matthew chapter 14, verse 9, just four verses after this. John is, is in prison still, and Herod has this party. He invites all these important people to come, and, and Herodias' daughter dances before him, and the people are pleased. And because he lives for the praise of people, he decides, since you did something that caused everyone around me to think highly of me, I'm going to reward you. So he says to her, you can ask me for anything, up to half my kingdom. Why? Because he lives for people's praise. He lives for the opinion of other people. And so he looks at her and says, you can have anything you want. So she goes to her mom. Mom, can you imagine a mother asking a daughter to ask for this? Asking a child and saying, this is what I want you to say. I want you to tell the king to give you the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And look what it says when he heard the response. Although he was grieved, why was he grieved? Because on one hand, he has the opinion of the people who think he's a prophet, and he is a slave to people's opinion. So on this hand, he's grieved. The king commanded it to be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests. You realize the opinion of people caused him to spare John's life on one hand, and the opinions of people caused him to take John's life on the other. And the only thing that changed in all of this wasn't John. It was people's opinion and what it would require to make the people in front of him happy in that moment. He had no conviction that he lived by. He was simply a product of what the people around him wanted and what their response might be and what he could do to get the response that he desired from them. And because of that, he found himself doing the very thing that he did want to do that he wouldn't. A little bit later, he finds himself doing it even though he doesn't want to. You see how tormented a life that is? He's grieved. She asks for the very thing that it said he wanted to do. You see, when in, the, in one of the translations, it says perfect love cast out fear because fear involves torment. Can, can you see where, where when we live our lives from a place of fear and of being afraid of what people might think, what people might, can you see the torment that would come? I read this this week. I heard a message that Bill Johnson preached a while ago about the fear of man. He talked about the first part of the story, but I just kept on reading. And when God showed me this, I thought, oh, there it is. Like, it's the perfect definition of a tormented life. Because in 14.5, he wants to kill John, but he can't. So he lives in this torment of wanting to do something, but not able to because he's afraid of people. Four verses later, he lives in this torment of not wanting to kill John, but having to because he's afraid of what the people might think. And he's never settled, and he never has peace. Because the only thing that he's concerned with is who's in front of me, and what will they think? And I'm, I'm glad that that only happened in the biblical days. You know, it was only for kings back in the days of the Bible that no one would struggle with that nowadays. At least no one in this room. The podcasters, they sometimes care. But not the people in this room right now. But trying to please people often comes at the expense of obedience to God. And so for us, it may not be as drastic as having the head of a prophet taken off. 
But what torment would it be if we didn't live our lives by true conviction and we actually lived our lives doing things we didn't want to do on one hand because of what people thought and then doing things we did not doing things we did want to do on the other hand because of what people thought and maybe even being the same day a different person here than we are there and neither of them being who we really are. Because all we're concerned with is the opinion of a person. The sad thing about that is this, is that the people whose opinions we're concerned with are probably people who need the gospel that God has entrusted us with, and we've allowed what we think of them to impress us more than what the Father has placed inside of us. Come on, this isn't meant to be harsh. This is meant to call us into this place of saying, listen, there's a place that we can live, and we're going to see it in a moment, where it doesn't matter what people around us think because we know what the Father thinks. And where we love our own lives, not unto death to the point where we can stand in front of any person and declare the exact same thing because we're not doing it for their response or their reaction. We're doing it out of love for them and believing that what they need more than anything is Jesus. And so open, uh, just turn ahead a little bit um, in your Bible to, the chap- to uh, Luke. Yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, it's ahead. I'm so good with the Bible. <laughs> Luke chapter 22 Verse 54, this is so famous, right? Um, everybody knows of this and, and, and hears this, and we talk about this sometimes at Easter. You guys know it's, it's, a, it's a week since we celebrated Easter. He's still just as alive, just as risen, and still on his throne. He's just as much king today as he's ever been. Yeah. You're just as much seated with him in heavenly places as you've ever been. You realize that you have a place that angels envy. It says, for to which of the angels did he say, come be seated at my right hand? talking about Jesus, but then later on, Paul would tell us that we're seated in heavenly places in Christ, meaning to which of of the angels did God ever say the thing that he said to all of us when he placed us in Christ at the right hand of the Father? That's pretty incredible that you have a place that angels are envious of. Yeah, I'm excited about it. So um, Luke chapter 22, verse 54. It says, then they seized him, talking about Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Remember, this is Peter, who was Simon the Shaky Reed, who's now been called Peter the Rock, right? The one who Jesus said, you're going to betray me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter said, I'll never let that happen. Peter, who grabbed his sword, cut the ear off the servant, this Peter. And so now he's sitting with them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. He's being accused by a little girl. This is Peter who said, I'll never deny you. His first opportunity is when a little girl looks and says, hey, you were with him too. But he denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. A little while later, someone else saw him and said, you're also one of them. Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the roaster crowed. So here's this betrayal of Jesus. Here's this time where, where the fear of man and the fear of his own, for his own life, that, you know, that thing about we love our own life, not unto death. He actually loved his life to the point where when it came to maybe possibly harming his life, he chose to betray Jesus and do what he said he would never do rather than be true to him and do the thing that he said he would do. And so Peter has now denied Jesus three times, not just once, but three times. One time to a little girl, wouldn't even admit to her that he even knew who Jesus was. Never mind that he's the one who Jesus called Peter, who was 
one of the people who got to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration, who was one of the people who walked on water, the only person besides Jesus that's recorded that walked upon the water like he did. He's got all these amazing things. And just because you've done amazing things with Jesus doesn't mean that it's settled in your heart forever unless it's actually settled in your heart forever. You can't coast on yesterday's obedience. You can't live on yesterday's stories. Every day is, is a new day. And just like his mercy is new every day, what you know about him from yesterday can carry you into a place of faith that he will be the same today. But it takes the same amount of faith today as it took yesterday to walk in the obedience today that you walked in yesterday. You can't coast in the kingdom. The minute you start coasting, you're actually going the opposite direction because the world is set up to pull us away from rather than into Christ. And so here's Peter, who's done all these things, and who has said he's never going to do this, and all this stuff. And listen, we, we, we sometimes come down hard on him, and, or, or you know, we're tempted to look at him a little bit like, wow, I can't believe Peter did that. Listen, I promise you, some of us have done far worse for far less. And so he is afraid of man, and denies Jesus, and so now he needs to be set straight. Jesus should come find him, look him in his face, and tell him, I told you, so that Peter can know how horrible what he did was and feel bad and never do it again because he's ashamed. Listen, Peter's already ashamed. That's why when Jesus said to the women, go tell my brother, my disciples, and Peter to meet me in Galilee that I'm coming for them. Why did he say my disciples and Peter? Peter was one of the disciples. Because he understood if I just said my disciples, Peter would discount himself from being included in that group because of what he's done because he thinks that I'll change my mind about him just because he changed his mind for a minute about me. He doesn't understand the love that God has. He doesn't understand that God's not going to change his mind up because his mind can't be changed. He's not a man that he should lie. So when he says, Peter, you're the rock, he means, Peter, you're the rock. And it doesn't matter what Peter does that's unrock-like in between who he is and who he's becoming. God's mind isn't being changed. So he says, tell him to come. So they, they come, and, and I think this is just one of the most amazing responses because it talks about the kindness of God that leads to repentance. That repentance there has changed the way you think, metanoia. So it's the kindness of God that will change the way Peter thinks. Not the vengeance, not the shame, not the guilt of God, the kindness. John 21, we're picking up the story a little bit later now. Verse 12, it says, Jesus said to them, this is Jesus now. He's come and once again, he sees them. Once again, they're horrible fishermen. They fished all night and caught nothing. I would never fish with the disciples. Like, if you asked me to come fish with you, we fished all night and didn't catch a single fish. The second time you asked me to come, I'd be like, are we going to go to the same place? And if we went again, I'd be like, you know what? You're not a fisherman. <laughs> and I probably wouldn't go. This is the disciples. Every time I read about them fishing, they're not catching anything. And so Jesus comes once again and, and does his thing where it's like, listen, it doesn't matter that you haven't done anything on your own. All you need is to listen to my voice, be obedient to what I'm calling you to. Let me breathe on what you're doing. Bring me into the picture and watch what happens. And so he blesses them with this huge abundance of fish. Peter this, you know, says, it's the Lord, and puts his coat on, jumps in the water, and takes off and beelines it to Jesus. This is Peter who denied Jesus. This is Peter, who had said that he would never turn his back on and never betray him, who's betrayed him three times in the space of a few hours. And look at Jesus' response. Jesus said to them, including Peter, and probably first to Peter because he was the first to get to Jesus, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. 
This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So here's his response to Peter. Peter, you've denied me. And Peter, you've turned your back on me and returned to fishing. And Peter, you're still a bad fisherman. But I still love you. I know why you did what you did. And I still believe that you are who I said that you are. And I'm going to show you kindness. But more than that, I'm going to do for you the thing that I'm asking you to do for other people. Because look at this response here. So when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, he pulls him aside. And I can just picture Jesus taking Peter aside, just talking to him real tenderly. And he says, Simon, son of John, do do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. And he said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. You notice Jesus doesn't one time bring up what Simon did. But he does ask him three times. He doesn't say to him, Simon, you screwed up pretty badly. And, you know, those things that I told you and the things that I declared over you, I guess I was wrong. But if you want, I can put you on probation. You can work your way back. And maybe we'll make you a junior apostle. (laughs) You can tag along with John. You can be his armor bearer, carry his Bible when he goes to preach and his sweat rag. But, you know, you've kind of screwed. No, he doesn't do any of that stuff. In fact, he doesn't even talk about that stuff. He just says to him, Simon, do you love me? And what's he doing? He's reminding Peter, why do I do what I do? He's saying, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yeah. He says, okay, then out of that place of love for me, feed my sheep. But check this out. What did he do before he asked Peter to feed his sheep? He fed Peter physically. Why? Because he'll never ask something from us that he's not willing to do for us first. So what's he saying? saying, Peter, here's the answer. Why you denied me three times? It's, this is the answer to it right here. Spend time with me. Feast on me. Let me love you. Let me feed you. Let me be with you. Let me speak to you. And then from that place of me loving you and you loving me, which I'm asking you about over and over again to remind you of why you're doing this in the first place, then go and be who I've called you to be and do for others what I've just done for you. If you have fear of man issues, there's one answer, and it's this right here. Get alone with the Father. Let him love you. Feed on him. Be so full of him that when you go out, you respond to what he's done for you by being that for other people. If you ever deal with fear of man, it's not a fear problem. It's a lack of love problem because perfect love will cast out fear because fear involves torment. If you're afraid of being tormented, it's because the perfect love of the Father is less loud in your mind than the possibility of torment coming from people. And all you have to do is get alone with him and let him love you. That's all it is. It's not that big of a deal. It's not so hard. We make it so complicated sometimes. There's not like a school you have to go through to learn this stuff. You just have to be with him and let him father you because he said, remember when Jesus was teaching them to pray? Remember what he said to him? He said, and when you pray, pray this way. Our Father. Of all the names he could have called him, he could have said our creator, he could have said our supreme sovereign king, he could have called him anything. He wanted us to know him. If we only know him in one way and you only relate to him in one way, make sure it's this way, that he's your father. 
And so if Jesus said to call him father, it wasn't like some superfluous thing. So you have every right now to get alone with him and ask him to father you. You have every right to say, God, I know what you've called me to. And if I'm being honest, sometimes when I'm trying to run, I feel like I'm caught in a snare and I know what I should do and I have the want to do it, but I actually don't follow through on it because I'm caught in this snare called the fear of man. And I'm more concerned about what people may think of me or say to me than I am for the people themselves. And I know that's not the way that you've created me and it's not what you desire for me. Would you come and just love me to this place of loving others the way you've loved me? It's not hard. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to close up with this, but this is something as I was studying this out that I found really interesting. You notice that that Peter has no problem a little while later standing in front of thousands of people, some of them the very people who he denied knowing Jesus to, and declaring, now you see this Christ whom you crucified as both Savior and Lord. The very thing that got Stephen stoned and killed, Paul, Peter stands in front of thousands of people and declares after this interaction with Jesus. Why? Because he's so full of the love of God. He's so full of what God's done for him. He's so thankful for the kindness that's been showed to him that it's changed the way he thinks. And now when he stands in front of them, rather than denying who Jesus is, he actually tells them who Jesus is. And he declares he's both Savior and Lord, and you crucified him. And 3,000 people get born again. But then a little while later in Galatians, and this is why I want to talk about this, because I don't think it's something you deal with one time and now you're done. Praise God if it is, but you know, it isn't like that for a lot of people, and it wasn't like that for Peter, because a little while later in Galatians, it says this. Paul's writing, he says, but when Cephas, who is, is Peter's original name that Jesus called him, it's, it's the uh, Aramaic name for, for rock, which is what Jesus called it. They, they wrote Peter in Greek, which is Petros, which means rock. And he uses the actual word that Jesus would have spoke when he spoke to Peter and called him the rock. And he says, but when Cephas, I, I think he did that on purpose just to remind Peter, I still believe that you are who Jesus said that you are. He said, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. James was the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. But, it, but when they came, he began to withdraw himself and, and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in, hypo, in the hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. So here you have Peter, who has no problem standing in front of thousands of people who have the ability to have him stoned and put to death and declaring who Jesus is and declaring what they've done and declaring the gospel to them and seeing them born again. And all of a sudden, a little while later, he's eating with the Gentiles and he sees a few of his buddies, a few people that he knows from the church at Jerusalem. And suddenly he is more afraid of what those people might think of him than he is concerned for the Gentiles that he's eating with. And that fear of man thing starts to creep back in. And when I saw this, I thought, man, I can relate to that because sometimes it's easier to stand in front of thousands of people you don't know and declare something than it is to stand in front of 30 people you do know. Sometimes we're more concerned about what the people we know think than what the people we don't know think. And just because God's dealt with it in one instance doesn't mean he doesn't want to deal with it in another and I believe this. I believe when Jesus said a prophet is not without honor in his own home, except in his own hometown, what he was saying is, listen, if you're going to live by the approval of the people that know you the best, you're going to have a rough life because that's the place you can expect to be the hardest place to find honor is the people that know you because they know you. 
They don't know the Peter that's standing in front of them declaring the gospel and them hearing it for the first time. They know what you did when you were a boy. They know what you did when you were a teenager. They know what you did and who you said what to and who you did what with. And they know you. And so they look at you and they can't even receive what you're saying because they're so hung up on who you used to be, they can't even entertain the thought that you might not be the man that you were, the woman that you were. And it's okay. Because there's another verse in the Bible that I always like to ask myself, why is this in here, Jesus? Why did you feel like this was necessary? Is this even necessary in my life? And Jesus was talking. He said, woe to you when all men speak well of you, for this is how their fathers treated the false prophets of old. You know what he was saying? He's saying, listen, don't be afraid when people talk badly about you. Be afraid when everybody speaks well of you. Because the only way you can do that is by gauging what you say on who you're saying it to and saying what they want to hear versus what I'm asking you to speak. Because that's what the false prophets of old did. They said peace when there was no peace. They declared rain in the middle of a drought. They said what the people wanted to hear, and nobody spoke badly of them. Jesus says, listen, if nobody's speaking badly of you, the only way that's happening is if you're not speaking truth in every instance, and at some point you're saying what people want to hear because you're more concerned with their response than you are with the truth you carry. It's okay. You know what? You can even be encouraged. Don't go out to be a jerk to people. You know, that's not a license to be rude, to be a jerk, to say, I'm going to go out and get some people to hate me today so that Jesus can comfort me with those words. Listen, just live the gospel. There'll be plenty of people. You won't have to try to make it happen. You wouldn't believe some of the things we've heard said about us. You wouldn't believe some of the things we've heard. Some things, like, you can kind of understand maybe where they construed it from and twisted it and, you know, like a game of telephone, it started back there as this, and by the time it got to you, it was that. And then some things you just look at and go, do you do what? But it's okay. It's okay. Because in those times, you can go to the Word and you can find Jesus speaking to you as if he was speaking to you in person. And you just come to him and you say, you know... I feel like I've been obedient and I did what you said and this was the response and you can just hear Jesus' words as he speaks back to you. Don't worry about that. You'll be worried when everybody speaks well of you. You'll be concerned when nobody has anything bad to say about you because the only way that can happen is if you tell them what they want to hear versus what I'm telling you to speak to them. That's what the false prophets of old did. You don't want to be numbered among them. You want to be my voice. You want to speak on my behalf. You want the love of God that's within you to compel you to beg as though I'm begging through you, be reconciled to God. That's what you need. Because at the end of the day, there's one opinion that matters, and that's what we live for, and it's to stand before him and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest that was prepared for me. That's it. That's the one opinion we live for. All the others, encouragement is great. But the only thing that you can do for someone who literally is dead to themselves and following Jesus is encourage them. Because even if you try to discourage me, I'll go to the Word and I'll find encouragement in it when Jesus says, oh, don't worry. The only way you can keep everyone happy is to tell some people things that aren't true. It's okay. You can only encourage me. So, Father, I just thank you. I think you're just calling. I just feel, honestly, you guys, listen, I do. I feel like, and I feel like this is, he's probably speaking the same message to so many people. I feel like he's really calling the body of Christ to step into this place of not being afraid of what people think and not being concerned with what the response might be. 
I've seen him deal with with me in my own heart. I've been living at the hospital for the past month. And we just decided from the very first night that we were there that if we have to be here, we're going to make it count. So we decided that we would share the gospel with every person we could, pray for every person we came into contact that would let us, and love people and encourage them. From the work, listen, there's a guy there that works, and he cleans the elevators, and he does it with such joy. I went up to him, and I said, I just want to tell you, I rode the elevator up, and God checked me, and I rode back down, I went and found him, and I said, I just want to tell you, like, the way you speak, I can tell that you carry this amazing love for people, even the way you do your job. He said, you want to know why? He turned around, he's wearing a sweatshirt, it says, Jesus is Lord. I said, I knew that. I knew that. He prayed with me, and I prayed with him. And now I've seen him a few times, and every time I see him, he comes and he prays, and he prays over Aaliyah, and he's just so encouraged. Listen, if you're going to be somewhere where God, and you're in a place, don't let it be wasted. God doesn't waste anything. He's not causing these things to happen, but he surely isn't wasting them. He's working all things for good for those that love him according to, and are called according to his purpose. And all it takes is caring more about what God's saying than what a person might say back. You can just step into that place. And listen, you can take that verse and you can actually be encouraged whenever you're rejected. Jesus said, uh, Peter's writing, he said uh, count, uh, that to, to be um, joyful when you're persecuted for his name's sake. When they persecute, Jesus said, listen, if they hate you, it's because they hated me first. If they would have loved me, then the world would have loved you. You can actually get before him and say, God, thank you that you're making me look so much like you that people that don't like you don't like me. I'm so thankful that I look more like Jesus now than I did yesterday, that tomorrow I'm going to look more like him than I do today. God, I thank you that if someone hates you, they hate me because I look like you because you're making me in the image of your son. We love you, Father. Just do this for me. If, if If you struggle at all with this, just stand up real quick. I just want to declare some things over you. I don't think you need prayer as much as you just need to hear truth. So if there's anybody that, that feels this way, if everybody stands up, I'm quitting. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm standing too because I deal with it sometimes. And so here's what I, I want to do. I just want to tell you this. You are fearfully, wonderfully created in the image of your father. You are unique and you show a side of his face that is not seen unless you show it. He's deposited his spirit inside of you, and he prepared you for good hands that he prepared before and that you should walk in them. He saved you for these very things, that you should walk in them. And he called you by name, and he placed his spirit inside of you, and he said, come and follow me, and he sent you into this world. And everybody that you come into contact with either needs to know him, knows him, and needs to be encouraged, or is just waiting to hear the gospel. And guess what? Whether you see increase or not doesn't matter. You've never been called to results. You've only ever been called to obedience. Because one man sows, one man waters, God gives the increase. Listen, if nobody sows, there's nothing to water. And if there's nothing to water, how can God bring increase? So if you never get to be on the end of the harvest, and I'm sure you will at some point in your life, but you can see every single day as a chance, I'm either going to sow something, or I'm going to water something, or I'm going to harvest something that God's already brought increase to that somebody else sowed and watered every day. So God, I just thank you for that. I thank you for empowering us, God, that we would be so impressed with Jesus that we would never be impressed with the, with the opinions of man, that we would live mindful of the eternity that we'll live in the reward of our obedience. That we would live every day mindful of the fact that this life is so short and opinions mean nothing and you mean everything. We thank you for that. We ask you to just encourage us, strengthen us, and bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.
Uh, before Candace comes up and does the announcements real quick, I just want to tell you guys all, thank you so much. We are so, so thankful to be part of this body of Christ and, and be part of this community. We have, been, we have seen the face of God in so many ways over the past month through you. It's been incredible. Every gift, every prayer, every tear, every encouraging word, every phone call, every message, even though we don't have time sometimes to return them all because they just maybe come time, sometimes come in bunches and you get overwhelmed a little bit and you just sit and read them and weep. But you guys have shown us such love, such support, and it has been so amazing to be part of this family and to see the steadfastness that you walk in and to see years of pouring in and pouring in and pouring in. And the fruit of that is when you're in a moment when the enemies that's coming after something that you're walking in, everybody around you comes alongside and won't let you even think about stumbling because they're walking with you and holding your hands up and encouraging you. Thank you guys so much. We, um, Aaliyah does have surgery Wednesday at 12 o'clock. Um, she'll have two surgeons working on her for about four hours uh, doing reconstructive stuff. We would love for you guys to join us that day in praying for her and for the surgeons. We want them to walk out amazed at how well things went and know that it was beyond their own ability that things went as smoothly as they did. That's what we want. We, we just want to see the hand of God move in a way that, that blows everyone's mind, including the people who he's moving through. So yeah, that that'll be Wednesday at 12. We'd love for you to join us praying for that. We love you guys, and uh, we'll see you back Sunday.